ClickSee podcast with Tim Flagg. Insight, opinion and advice from the leading practitioners in digital marketing and e-commerce. Welcome to a special edition of the ClickSee digital marketing podcast, looking at digital marketing trends for 2019 and why the future of advertising belongs to the consumers. In this episode, I'll be giving you my perspective on the trends that I believe are going to be important for marketers to address in 2019. And in the new year, we've got a range of speakers who will be giving us much greater insight into each of these areas. I want to keep this episode short, but I realise that in all my podcast episodes, I haven't really introduced myself or what I do. Also, I talk a lot about data and the challenges and opportunities that it presents for marketers. You may have wondered why I'm so passionate about this area. So I thought I'd try and explain what I'm doing in this space with my company, Advantageous, since it's very relevant to a lot of the conversations that we've been having on the podcast over the years and the major trends we're going to be looking at in 2019. So here's a bit about me, your host, and my background in marketing. I've been passionate about advertising and understanding consumers since I started my career about 20 years ago. Although the fundamental principles have stayed the same, digital technology has accelerated the pace and increased the scale and given marketers many more opportunities. And during that time, I've witnessed those changes working in ad agencies like McCann Erickson and Inferno, as well as being a marketer launching brands around the world for companies such as BBC Worldwide and NBC Universal, while I launched the e-channel around the EMEA region. Then at Hutchison One Power, I ran global advertising campaigns to launch a new mobile handset, Inc., in India, Australia, Canada and the UK. And after that, I focused on digital transformation, running EU marketing at Zipcar, setting up the Institute of Direct and Digital Marketing Online, the IDM Online, and the Academy of Digital Business Leaders, the ADBL. And then in the last few years, I've advised a number of businesses on their marketing strategy, their marketing technology stacks, and helped build, mentor and lead digital marketing teams. I've become a real advocate during that time for how marketers can use the latest tools and technology to enhance the effectiveness of their advertising. And as the host of ClickZ's digital marketing podcast and webinars, I regularly get the opportunity to talk to thought leaders and innovators from around the globe about the challenges facing marketers, the latest tools and the future of advertising. Now, in addition to working as a marketing consultant, I'm the co-founder of a business called Advantageous. We empower consumers to take control of their online advertising profile and get their fair share whenever that profile is sold and traded. Advertisers can now get a new class of purchase intent data that is validated by the individuals themselves. The data always belongs to our members and Advantageous provides the platform to obtain consent and make it commercially available. You can find out more and join us at advantageous.com. So that's enough about me. I wonder whether we can start off by giving some context and look at the two major trends that I think have affected marketing over the last couple of years. Technology has made marketing more accountable, but without delivering on the expectation that it will be more effective. I think the fundamental change is that we can now track and measure the effectiveness of advertising, often in real time. Marketers now have more data about their campaigns than they've ever had before, and they need to be able to make sense of this data. So now we have attribution tools, analytics tools, and A-B testing tools. Technology promised to make online advertising so much more effective, but it's still really inaccurate and inefficient. And as a senior marketer, I've spent a lot of my time and money trying to identify the most effective channels to reach target consumers and maximize return on investments. As an advertiser, I've been constantly frustrated by the inability to accurately identify consumer intent and the resulting inefficiency and wastage in online advertising. 
the typical click-through rate of a display ad is under 0.3%, and that means 99.7% of the advertising is effectively wasted. When you combine that with a recent analysis by The Guardian that 70% of all online media spend gets spent on ad tech middlemen, then you start to understand the scale of the problem. Yes, retargeting can improve effectiveness by 10x, according to Spiralytics, but it's created what I call the John Lewis Kettle Effect, whereby a product that I was researching but have now bought still relentlessly follows me around the web. And it's no wonder that advertisers are increasingly looking for marketing channels that offer cost per sale or that offer more effective ways of targeting. The second major trend I've seen over the last couple of years is that GDPR has started to rebalance power towards consumers, but many marketers still see it as a hindrance. So 12 months ago, we were talking about the impact of ad blockers, which is currently used by 27% of UK adults. For me, they were the canary in the mine, indicating a more fundamental problem that the value exchange at the centre of online advertising is no longer sustainable. Not only were audiences finding ads annoying and irrelevant, they were beginning to become conscious that their data has real value. And of course, since then, we've seen the GDPR come into effect in May 2018, which has given consumers legally enforceable rights to control their data. And the Cambridge Analytica case has raised the issue of data security and trust into a real public debate. So far, the main impact of GDPR has been on the databases that marketers are in charge of. Firstly, it's required marketers to audit all of the records that are in their database, most marketing databases will be an amalgamation of databases collated from multiple sources over many years. Sometimes the source and the provenance has been lost or forgotten. GDPR has meant that marketers can only keep the data that they've obtained consent for or where they have a legitimate interest. In most cases, making a new request for consent and removing data from unverified sources has meant a significant reduction in database size, sometimes 20%. Most marketers I've spoken to have focused on the positives they know that the records they have in the databases now are high quality, who have actively chosen to engage with their brand by giving consent. And so it's about quality rather than quantity. The other related benefit that I've heard marketers express is that finally they're able to get serious interest and budget to audit, reorganise and rebuild the database in their organisation. I remember working with one company that had two totally different databases for marketing and sales. And the only way to share data was to output a CSV file and then re-import it between the CRMs. Two years ago, if you brought up the topic of database integration, it wouldn't be a priority for any board. But today, GDPR has empowered marketers to take charge of that challenge and to fix it. So it sometimes feels like marketers have been talking about nothing but GDPR in this last year. Do consumers really understand what GDPR is yet? At Advantageous, we've run a number of focus groups with young people in their early 20s, and although they've seen hundreds of consent requests, they're not that aware of the underlying changes in the law and its effect upon them. They see the permission pop-ups as friction and an annoyance when they're trying to get on with their lives. But people don't need to understand the regulation to appreciate and agree on the principles that it enshrines. For the younger generation, it seems obvious that they should own their own data and that this is a commodity that can be traded. They've grown up in a freemium world and they have an instinctive understanding of the value of their data profile without the reluctance of the older generations. The GDPR and the e-privacy regulation are there to protect consumers. Consumer protection has been playing catch up these last 30 years as the internet has evolved. And this new regulation not only catches up with what consumers need, but it preempts the rights that consumers will need in the near future. Most consumers don't have that much of an incentive to exercise their rights right now, 
But when they have an incentive, then we will see wider use of those rights. But the GDP is about more than just data protection. It sets out to shift the balance of power back to the consumer. I've always seen it as a piece of legislation that reflects a growing trend, whilst also acting as an accelerant. When we started building Advantageous over two years ago, we identified this shift. Consumers are becoming aware of the value of their data and they want control. The GDPR gives consumers sovereignty over their data at the point where the volume and the value of personal data is set to increase. So for me, those are the two major trends that have been affecting marketing over the last few years. Now let's look ahead. I've identified four key trends that I think will be transforming marketing in 2019. And over the next couple of months, I plan to interview a number of thought leaders and experts on these topics to get their insight, perspective and case studies to help us really understand each of these trends. And I'd love to get your thoughts and feedback on these trends. So please do message me on Twitter at Tim for change. That's at Tim for change. So now let's look at the trends. Number one, the full impact of legislation empowering consumers is ongoing and may kill the advertising cookie. Okay, so what's been happening since May 2018? We've seen most companies now really take on board the um, purpose of GDPR and ensure that they are GDPR compliant, which is great. It's really now brought about that balance, that shift that I mentioned before, that sort of trend that's been happening over the last couple of years. And consumers in particular are becoming really aware of the value of their data, not just because of Cambridge Analytica and because of Facebook and because of all of the hacks. But I think in the age of Airbnb, when people are used to being able to take control of their own assets and sell those assets, people are starting to recognize the value of their own data. Uh, and as we, we go on, we start to see com big companies like Facebook and Google being held account now under GDPR by the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, and potentially being given very large fines if those, um, uh, those cases are upheld. So it's quite a, a big change in the way in which the consumer now sees those parties being able to be held account. We're also seeing consent more and more. Pretty much any website you go to now will have a consent pop-up asking you for consent. And there's companies which are offering consent as a service. It's having a growing impact now, not just on businesses, but also on the consumer experience. And consumers can, of course, under GDPR, make a subject access request, requesting any company to give them access to all the data that is held about that individual. And they also have portability as well and erasure, uh, the ability to either take that data which is held about them and take it somewhere else or to completely uh, remove and destroy that data from the database. So there's all these new functions and processes which are required under GDPR. Now, e-privacy. I know some of you will probably have heard of e-privacy, but it's one of those things which I think as marketers, we really need to understand a lot more about. And over the next couple of months, I'm going to be interviewing experts in this field to try and bring it to life and make it relevant to marketers. What I'm very conscious of is that with GDPR, uh, there was a lot of talk about it, but right up until April, May of 2018, that's when marketers were really trying to become compliant and do a lot of their GDPR um, work. And I think the same thing might happen with e-privacy. So maybe that's an opportunity for us now to get ahead of the ball and start planning what we're doing with e-privacy. So what is it? Well, the e-privacy law um, was issued by the EU as a directive back in 2002, and it governs the privacy of electronic communication. Now that we've got GDPR in place, which is a, a regulation, 
um, the e-privacy directive is going to be updated into a regulation as well. So regulation is, is a law rather than just a piece of guidance. And this will take into effect what's happened with GDPR and the changes in technology and consumer behaviour. Obviously, 2002 is almost two decades away and so much has happened in terms of consumer behaviour and technology. So in general, e-privacy is going to seek to clarify and enforce the existing guidance to complement what's happening in the GDPR. And some of the specific changes which I wanted to highlight, although there's there's many, um, are the broadening and clarification of what constitutes electronic communication. This now includes services such as Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp, as well as traditional telecom providers. The previous Privacy and Electronic Communications Regulation, PECA, which was introduced in 2003, allowed marketing to business employees without their consent on an opt-out basis. And this is why list buying has been a popular channel for B2B marketers. However, under the new regulation, consent will be required for any B2B marketing. At the moment, marketers can communicate to customers via email and SMS to promote products that are similar to ones that customers bought previously. The privacy regulation specifies a time limit of 12 months for these communications. Users at the moment are being overloaded by cookie consent. And because of this, the e-privacy regulation is suggesting that users should be able to turn off cookies at the browser level. In fact, any software, for example, a mobile game that allows electronic communication will have to give users the ability to consent. And should users not want to consent, there can be no negative impact on their web experience or their electronic experience. It's not clear how this consent mechanism will work and who is going to be able to implement it. It, it, Some people are concerned it's going to give power to those big corporations like Google and Facebook and Apple. But the main impact is that there could be a massive drop in the number of individuals that allow advertising cookies. If you imagine how dependent the whole online advertising system is on those simple cookies which are dropped on computers, if those were effectively switched off overnight, it would have a devastating effect on the current online advertising model. So there's lots more we could go into around e-privacy and the impact that cookies or the removal of cookies is going to have on the advertising industry. And I want to be able to pull in some experts in the new year to really get into that space, give you the the latest thinking on e-privacy, when it's going to come into effect, what the latest wording is is looking like. And also from advertising perspective, I'm going to try and get some speakers in who can explain the impact it's going to have on advertising. So what does this mean for the industry? I think there's definitely some big changes for online advertising, um, but also for you as someone uh, who's a marketer who's spending money on advertising, you're going to have to really look at how you're spending that money and what impact removing cookies is going to have on your marketing spend. Is it going to increase the amount of money you need to spend to get the same results that you do today? In terms of what you can be doing now, uh, I'd say start planning what it would look like if you had to try and find channels where you weren't able to use cookies to target people like you have done in display and start following the e-privacy regulation now. Start looking, there's some great resources out there. Um, For example, the DMA or the ICO or the IAB have all got great um, resources on the e-privacy regulation and their tracking and lobbying for the industry uh, to the the EU on how that legislation will be implemented. And in the new year, as I say, I'm going to be trying to get some additional speakers from some of those organisations, from brands and who with deep knowledge in that e-privacy space to come and talk to us about how that will look in 2019. 
So the second big trend that I see in 2019 is that marketers need to be data analysts, not just technologists. So over the last couple of years, we've talked a lot about how marketers have evolved from being seen as very creative and a bit fluffy and maybe the colouring in department as it was seen 20 years ago into being real marketing technologists. They have to understand how technology works at quite a a deep level. So we started off having to know how to create HTML because we were using so many CMSs. We started having to learn about all the different databases that sit behind the websites we use and that sit behind the CRMs we use. And as we started, as mobile started to grow, marketers needed to learn more about how mobile worked as well. So as an industry, we've been on a journey to learn more about that and the term marketing technologist of course has been coined and used by some great people like Scott Brinker uh, episode 22 uh, where Scott has has talked about that increasing loomscape that he's created of marketing tech companies and the massive expansion in, in companies there but for me it's not just marketing technology now it's moving beyond that you've got to be a marketing analyst a data analyst because All of that technology is creating more and more data all the time. And it's very easy to be overwhelmed by all that data. What do you do with that data? How do you ask the right questions? How do you know where to start? And even to get the data out of the databases. And then once you've got those insights, what do you do with them? For me, the the skill which marketers need to have in 2019 is the ability to become good data analysts. And what that means is they need to have the ability to understand how databases work, how to gather the right data, uh, process that data and display the right data. And that could sound really simple, but actually when you have data coming from many different sources, you've got data coming from your CRM, you've got data coming from your CMS, you've got data coming from sales and customer service. One of the key challenges and where I see some really good marketers doing some excellent work is being able to simplify that data into a dashboard that they can have meaningful insights and actionable uh, takeaways each week that they can go in and focus on. Now, part of that challenge, which is effectively, you could call it big data, is also how can we use machine learning? I'm hesitating to use AI as a phrase there, but it's more the machine learning. How can we pull that data set in through a machine learning process to really help uh, get some uh, signal out of the huge amount of noise? And it's something which I think marketers need to know more about because we're increasingly going to be hit with large data sets. Um, now, there's a, a lot of sources uh, of software out there which marketers can get now. And there's some big players out there like um, IBM with their Watson and Amazon who are providing services where you can effectively lease uh, a machine learning uh, algorithm that you can then use to go through your big data sets and get some meaning out of them. So we're definitely options like that. But of course, it comes back to knowing what are the questions you need to ask and having the right people in your team or the right set of skills yourself to be able to set up those those processes. Now, marketers, particularly those of us who come from a direct background, have always quite liked statistical analysis. But I think even more so now, an understanding of statistical analysis and the processes and how it works is really important. If you're going to be um, asked to not only process that data, but then present that data. So when you get all these insights, then you need as a marketer, one of our 
one of our skills as marketers is often to be able to make something very complex, very simple. But when it comes to data, not only do you need to do that, but you also need to articulate it in a way which is statistically significant, where the the meaning you're deriving um, is robust enough to be able to be challenged. So that's a, another area which I, I see as being part of this um, this focus on analysis. And one of the areas this year, which I'm really pleased to, to see is coming to the fore, is attribution. So we've moved just from analytics, as in data analytics, website analytics, to attribution. It's a logical next step. And, you know, over the years, I've looked at many different attribution partners to try and figure out the best way of attributing the ultimate sale or the ultimate lead back to different marketing channels we've used in the past. Now, sometimes we've done that just based off tracking codes. Sometimes we've used uh, an Excel spreadsheet to do an end-to-end -end analysis. Um, sometimes I've used pieces of software which have been either algorithmic um, attribution, because they've tried to predict and look for models within the data, or, or they've been rule-based um, attribution models where we've attributed a certain percentage um, to each of the different channels we've used. Now, all of those, I think, were sort of like attribution 1.0. And now we're starting to get to attribution 2.0, which is where we're getting a lot more data insight into how the customer journey actually works that can be put into very smart software systems. And you combine that with tracking to really start to understand the customer journey and which points along the customer journey impacted on their final conversion to sale or generation of a lead. So that's a, a big part of this data and analysis now. It's moved from just analyzing into attribution. Part of this comes from GDPR, again, to mention that's sort of ongoing sort of thread uh, in all of these trends. Because we now have got rid of a lot of that dead wood in our databases, we're able to really focus on the high quality data records. Um, but it also comes from the fact that we've started to bring together data um, prior to GDPR, when all the data in an organization existed in different silos, it was very difficult to, bring, to build that single view of the, of the consumer. Whereas now we've started to bring it together into one joined up view of the customer, that wholly single customer view, we're able to get a lot deeper insight into the actions and the behavior and the customer journey. Um, so that's, that's another benefit of, of GDPR. In terms of what this means for the industry then, I think Yes, marketers do need to understand more about statistics and data analysis in general. They need to understand um, some of the, the fundamental principles of how databases are created, the underlying software, and how that data is then extracted, maybe something like an API, um, into another system. Uh, now, I've worked on a number of uh, different CRMs whereby data has either had to go into that CRM or come out of that CRM to be used for another part of the marketing tech stack. So working with the, the tech developers to be able to build those APIs is fundamental. And I think it'll become even more important for marketers to do that type of work in the future. And of course, keeping data safe um, in and out of those databases, things like encryption and security are gonna be really important. Similar to that, being able to remain compliant with all of the data security laws, not just GDPR, but some of the ISOs, and ensuring that everything is done um, around privacy by design. That's going to be fundamental for us as an industry to make sure that we do. And as I mentioned before, a critical part of what marketing does is taking the complex and making it simple. And I think we need to keep on doing that with everything that's happening with uh, data analysis and really be the champion of um, the value of data within the organization, but also then being able to articulate the insights that comes from that. 
In terms of what one thing should you be doing now, I think you should step back and start to audit all of the data that you have in your organization and start asking questions, which of the data is most important? What do you want to have on your data dashboard? It's really fundamental for any modern organization to be able to make those decision decisions based upon data and evidence. But it's then your job as a marketer to be able to surface the right data at the right point and make sure it's accurate and up to date. And sometimes that'll come down to the software that you're using. Now, you may have invested and set up a, a software system two or three years ago, which could have been cutting edge then. But you have to ask yourself the question now, is it still fit for purpose? Is it out of date? Is there a better system? Is it linked up? You know, it, it's a constant process of, of making sure that your analytics and the data feeds coming in is, is up to date. So over the next couple of months, we're going to be having some speakers from some of the really interesting tech platforms who are um, in working in this uh, analytics 2.0 space and who are dealing with all of these questions and they can help shine a light on what it means to um, to ensure that marketers have the right data up to date and how we as marketers can simplify and make sense out of this vast amount of data that's coming in. So the third major trend that I wanted to talk about was voice search. And I wanted to ask a question whether we as an industry are ready for the fact that 50% of search will come from voice by 2020. We recently ran a couple of webinars uh, on this particular theme and we had a massive response and loads of questions from the audience because I think whilst a lot of people recognise that voice search is coming, not many people yet have figured out what they're going to do about it and what the strategy is. And I by no means have the answers here, but again, what I'm going to be doing over the next couple of months is trying to find those speakers and experts who do and get them on the podcast here to share some of their insights with you. So just to give you a really quick summary on why I think voice is going to be so important, um, the main thing, apart from that headline statistic, about 50% of search will be from voice by 2020, is that it becomes really binary. When you speak to your phone or your home device um, using your voice and ask it a question, there's normally only going to be one answer that comes back. So as marketers, we're used to worrying about what position we have on that search engine result page, but now there's only going to be one result comes back so it doesn't matter if you're second that's nothing um, and that then puts a lot of pressure on figuring out well how can we optimize for that position number one we have to understand a lot more about the need state of those consumers what are they actually asking um, in the question what kind of phrases are they using we have to as marketers become a bit more like psychologists i suppose and uh, and do the research based on the data we're getting about what they're actually searching for and there's going to be a lot more focus on local um, a lot of the phrases near me or around here those are going to be the things which we're going to see more with voice search and it's going to be something which is going to really require us to um, expand the list of keywords that we're using uh, in order to, to optimize for voice search, expanding from keywords to key phrases that are more like natural language rather than the slightly stilted keywords that we're probably used to seeing in, in search at the moment. There will also be a massive impact on content creation and the distribution of that content as well. And we need to start thinking about how we can optimize the content that we currently have or create new types of content which are better suited to voice. So, for example, if someone's asking a, a device for recommendations, 
if you can provide a really small, um, helpful piece of information that the, the voice assistant can speak back to the person who has raised that query, that's going to be a lot more useful than if you've got a PDF or a white paper that they have to fill in a form with, etc. So it's really going to force us to rethink some of our content strategy, particularly in that B2C space. And there's some brands who are really getting it right. And I'd like to bring on in the new year some brands there to share how they're already using voice search and really using it effectively. Um, and then also look at the tools which are popping up already that will help us with that. In terms of the industry, yeah, I think we need to find some really good case studies. Uh, there's people who are pioneering at the moment, but when we find those case studies, we need to share them, we need to learn from them. Um, and then in terms of one thing, what one thing should you guys be looking at to do now? My advice would be really understand voice as a consumer. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you will be getting uh, voice devices uh, in your Christmas stockings. Of course, you already have them on your mobile phones. Just start using that as your default way of, of asking questions rather than going to Google and typing it in. It's actually a lot easier when you start doing it. And just see how those voice assistants are able to give you a response and how that varies and is so different to the type of response you may be used to on the search engine result page. The fourth and final trend that I wanted to talk about is the desire for transparency, which is still driving in-house media buying. There have been a number of different topics on in-house, in-housing and the challenges that agencies are facing as brands are really doing this. And uh, For me, it comes down to transparency. The reason that any brand or advertiser is wanting to bring some of their media buying in-house is because they there is a problem with transparency. So I know when I was heading up a marketing team and I looked at the media agency and I saw how much they were taking as a fee um, and I saw the reports I was getting back showing how all the media was being spent, which were very patchy, very out of date and very top line. Um, and I saw the amount of service I was getting from them in terms of account management. Um, and it just didn't make sense to me um, because I was spending a lot of money um, on these fees, getting back pretty patchy reports and not having somebody around 24-7. By bringing that in-house, I got the benefit of having a dedicated person in my team running search or running display uh, buying, who I was then able to get all of their time focused on optimizing, trying new ideas, iterating, working really closely with the other teams, not just in marketing, but throughout the entire organization to really come up with new ideas and constantly test those and then get from the, the data we got uh, ideas for the next round to, to constantly test. And we, we increased uh, quite significantly all of the uh, conversion rates just because we were able to be focused on that, that test and iterate process. So I can see that uh, transparency is still a key factor for many brands when they consider bringing um, something in-house. But it's also that skill now, the, the industry, you know, if you look at search and even display, it's matured to such a level now that, uh, that you can bring that uh, function and that skill in-house to your marketing team. Um, and everybody benefits from it now. Everyone is able to learn from um, what they're doing. And, and it's fascinating for a lot of people, particularly the creatives, to be able to sit down next to someone who's buying media or focusing on the paid search terms um, and really learn how digital marketing works. So if you're talking about trying to transform your digital marketing team, having those very skilled individuals, a search, a paid search specialist or a, a display media buying specialist in your team, that can add a lot of value and a lot of insight to the rest of the team uh, as well. 
So that for me is is all based around transparency. Uh, and it means that there's a big challenge for ag- agencies at the moment who are struggling to keep up with that as they're seeing more and more of their uh, brands trying to bring stuff in-house. I mean, we've already seen it quite a lot with content already in social media. They're already quite in-house, but now it's really getting into that media buying space as well. But the critical area of uh, growth, I think, in 2019 is going to be around auditing the effectiveness of that in-house media buying. So it's one thing to bring all of that media buying in-house. The biggest challenge I found when we'd set it up and got it running, um, we had uh, media buying for paid search and media buying for display, was suddenly we had this wall of data coming in uh, and we didn't have any way of being able to process that data and then uh, analyze that data for meaning, back to the point we were talking about before. And I think that's a big challenge for a number of brands who do this in housing is what do they do with the data and what are the secondary problems that having those in-house resources, uh, what do they cause? And so we're seeing now the development of things like hybrid uh, models between agencies and brands where it's sort of like an agency who's embedded within the organization gives us the flexibility to be able to pull in other resources as well. But also um, those brands need to know that through this process there is some sort of audit, there's some sort of accountability that the money is being spent uh, well and is uh, actually achieving some sort of type, some sort of ROI. Lastly there's the consideration around uh, data protection as well. So GDPR is a, is one of those threads that's through all of these trends. But as GDPR has has made it so paramount that brands are um, uh, they understand where data on their customers is held and they protect that data, it becomes uh, the logical step for them to want to hold that data within the four walls of their offices rather than allowing that data to go out to agencies. So. It's, it's become a, a sort of a, a sub-trend almost that brands have wanted to control that um, and keep it internally. And there's also related concerns around things like brand safety as well, just making sure that if it's done in-house, you can at least have, in theory, more control over um, how that media is bought. It just takes one level of uh, vulnerability or, uh, or sort of doubt out of the media buying process. In theory, it should mean that uh, the media is bought in a way which is safer. Although, of course, in practice, that doesn't always happen. So what does that mean for the industry? Well, agencies need to provide more transparency. And I think they need to be more innovative and more agile to be able to foresee some of those challenges from the brands, their clients, and be able to offer those them the services, but do it in a smart way where they recognize that actually what they can offer the clients is that flexibility, those resources when they need them, and that skill and experience. Um, and whilst there are lots of benefits from a transparency perspective, there are also some downsides to bringing media buying in-house as well. Uh, it's it's not as simple as it looks unless you've got massively deep pockets and you're a massive brand. So it's figuring out for what sized brand does it make sense to bring um, that media buying in-house. And in terms of what's the one thing which I'd recommend you should be doing now, I think look at your advertising supply chain now, your media buying supply chain now, understand where the media 
dollars, pounds that you're spending is going? And can you have some accountability for that entire supply chain, right from where you spend it with either a media agency or a buyer, right through to all the all the middlemen, all the all the software, the licenses, right through to how much is actually spent on inventory and do an evaluation of what it would cost you to do that internally in housing that if you were to do it yourself. Um, that will often show you some cost efficiencies, but it will also show you where there's a lack of transparency. And maybe if you're prodding a certain part of that supply chain, asking for answers and data, people might not want to give you that data, which might in itself be a signal that there's something wrong with that particular part of the supply chain. So over the next couple of months, we're going to be having some speakers who are going to be looking at precisely those problems, how to make sure that you're getting the most effective ROI from the advertising spend, how you're able to do that audit of both paid search and display to make sure your money is being spent correctly. And what are the suppliers, the people who are actually um, used to supply, say, their uh, DSPs, demand side platforms, um, to uh, ad agencies? They're now um, often supplying them directly to the brands, either for in-housing or to, for other uses. So we're hearing from them as well as to how they're seeing that market change. And similarly, um, other technology vendors who have seen those changes. So there's going to be a lot we're going to be looking at. But those, for me, are the four trends which are going to define how marketing has to adapt in 2019. So just to recap over them again, the first one was that the legislation which is empowering consumers is still ongoing and may yet kill the advertising cookie. The second trend was that marketers um, need to be data analysts more than just technologists. And the third trend is that we need to be ready for voice search. And the fourth trend was that it's transparency and the desire for transparency, which is driving in-house media bike. So those are my four trends, and I'm really looking forward over the next couple of weeks to unpacking all of those with some of the experts who will get into the Clixie episodes and uh, share those insights with you. So if you have any insight on, on those trends, I'd love to hear it. You can message me on Twitter at Tim for Change or find out more about what we're building at Advantageous, where we pick up on a lot of these themes that we've discussed here, uh, the empowerment of the consumers and also providing advertisers with a very affected, uh, effective and targeted way of reaching those consumers on terms that the consumer controls. You can sign up for the open beta at www.advantageous.com forward slash dashboard. That's advantageous.com forward slash dashboard. So until the next episode in the new year, bye for now, happy holidays and happy new year. Find more episodes at clickz.com forward slash podcasts or follow me on Twitter at Tim for Change. We'll be talking to more of our experts over the next few weeks. Until then, keep up to date with ClickZ and don't forget to review us on iTunes and Stitcher. ClickZ, the original digital business intelligence company founded in 1997, providing best practice advice, trends and insight from leading analysts and practitioners to a global community of more than 300,000 digital marketing and e-commerce professionals. Thank you for listening and bye for now.